Welcome to GlendaleCC.org and to the Glendale Christian KY podcast on iTunes, and thank you for joining us. This week, Senior Minister Jeff Gaines talks about the importance of Jesus' mission in going to the cross as we celebrate Palm Sunday. Thank you for listening, and as always, we hope that you learn and enjoy. Good morning. I'm glad to see all of you, uh, and I want to welcome you. Um, if you're a guest with us today, we're kind of a weird church. Um, I mean, they let me preach, so that's pretty weird. Um, but we're weird in this way, and it might be um, a little bit different than maybe a church that you've had experience with before. Um, but we're the kind of church that just kind of receives you and welcomes you just the way you are. Uh, because when I read the Bible, when we read the Bible, we, we encounter a, a Jesus that goes to, like, kind of the, the outcasts. He goes to the people that are messed up, and he says stuff like, this is why I came. I, I didn't come to fix the people that don't think they need to be fixed. I, I came for the people that are sick. I came for the people that are hurting. I, I came for the people that don't have it all together. That's, that's who I came for. That's who I, I love. And so, no matter how you step foot into this room today, I, I just want you to understand Jesus loves you. And he doesn't love the future version of you. He doesn't love the perfected version of you. He loves the version of you that's sitting in the pew today. No matter what this last week or this last month or this last year has looked like for you, Jesus loves you. And because Jesus loves you, because Jesus receives you just the way you are, we as a church, we have no choice but to love you and receive you just the way you are. So thank you, each and every one, for being here and we welcome you. Church, can you welcome our guests with a hand clap, please? Today is Palm Sunday, and Palm Sunday is um, it's an interesting day on the church calendar, and it's always been kind of confusing to me, and, and you'll see why in a minute. Um, but people were celebrating Jesus as he walked, rode into this holy city called Jerusalem, and people are lining the streets, a lot of fans of Jesus lining the streets, and they're yelling his name, and they're treating him like a rock star. And so today is that day where we talk about that. It's the Sunday before Easter. And you're going to find this story, and this is a historical event uh, that uh, happened over 2,000 years ago. You're going to find the story in Luke chapter 19. Luke 19. Uh, if you brought your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn there. Uh, we're going to spend some time in Luke 19 today. The words will also be on the screen if you don't know how to operate a Bible. So you got that. Uh, the, there's a pew Bible in front of you if you didn't bring one. I'd encourage you to bring your Bibles to church. As you're turning there, uh, Luke 19, uh, have you ever been confused about someone's intentions? Uh, if you're confused about someone's intentions, it will affect the way you react to that person, won't it? I'll give you an example. Some of y'all, I can tell you're having a hard time visualizing this. I want you to imagine for a moment that a clown jumped out of that back door. Now, for some of you, your reaction would be to smile because you think of a clown and the intentions of a clown are to be silly, right? And so that would bring a smile to your face and you would laugh. Some of you you would see a clown, and, and you wouldn't smile. You would scream because you, you think that the intentions of a clown are scary, right? And so you're looking for the door. Uh, your assumptions about someone's intentions affect the way that you react to that person. 
I think that's kind of what's going on on this first Palm Sunday. A lot of people have the wrong assumptions about Jesus's intentions. And as a result, as the week goes on, many of these people, they react to Jesus inappropriately because of their wrong assumptions. I think that that reality is true of many people who profess to be Christians today. They have the wrong assumptions about Jesus' intentions in their life. And when that's the case, it's hard to stay faithful because Jesus doesn't match our assumptions. The intentions of Jesus don't match our assumptions, and when that's the case, we tend to fall away. So today, what I want to do, I want to spend some time talking to you very clearly about Jesus' intentions in your life. I want to talk to you about the mission of Jesus. And I believe once we realize the intentions of Jesus in our life, when we really get an understanding of what his mission is, then we can be more devoted followers of him. That's my hope for all of you today. If you would, pray with me. Father, I want to thank you for your word. Your word is trustworthy and true. These aren't made-up words, Lord. This isn't just a history book, Lord, and it's definitely not a fable. These are your words, inspired words. And these words are true. They're true eternally, and they're true personally. And so, Lord, I pray every person in this room, no matter how they step foot in here, I pray, Lord, that they will believe in this moment that you have a word for them, that there's something that you lovingly want to communicate to them, And as hard as it is to receive your word, and as hard as it is to accept your truth, Lord, it's the best thing that we can do for our life, for our existence, for our eternity. So, Lord, help us to be receptive. Help us to have open ears and an open heart. Help us to receive you well today. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 28. After Jesus had said this, Jesus was always teaching, and he had just taught a couple of lessons, and then he got up from teaching, and he went on ahead. So this means Jesus is leading the way. He's not in the back of the pack. He's not in the middle of the pack. He's the lead dog. He went on ahead of everyone else going up to Jerusalem. Jesus is leading the way. Nobody's dragging him. Nobody's prodding him along. Nobody's pushing him. He doesn't just accidentally end up in Jerusalem. He makes a conscious decision, and he walks in a straight line towards this place. Now, this is a theme throughout the whole book of Luke. Let me show you. Luke chapter 9, verse 51. As the time approached for him, Jesus, to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He was determined to get to Jerusalem. There's something there that he had to grab a hold of, and it was more important than anything else on the planet. And so he kind of put everything else in the periphery. He put it on the back burner, and he prioritized getting to Jerusalem. He resolved to get there. He leads the way. No matter what, he's going to get to Jerusalem. Why? He tells us, Luke chapter 13, verse 33. In any case, Jesus says, I must press on. I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day for surely no prophet can die outside of Jerusalem. Jesus resolutely sets out for this place in which he will die. When he went on ahead of them, 
when he resolutely set out for, when he pressed on today and tomorrow on the next day to get to Jerusalem, Jesus was knowingly walking to his painful death on a cross. Now, I don't want you to miss this today because sometimes we just kind of brush over this fact, but Jesus had a nature like our nature. The Bible says and teaches us that Jesus was fully God and fully man. I want to flesh this out for you for a second. That means that when Jesus was sitting around the campfire and some of the ambers from the campfire flared up and landed on his arm, he would flip it off and pull his arm back because it hurt. That means if uh, Jesus was uh, boiling water on a stove and some of that water splashed up and landed on his bare feet, he would pull it back because it hurt. That means when Jesus was walking basically barefoot through Galilee and he stubbed his toe on a rock, he wouldn't cuss like many of us may tend to do when we stub our toe, but it would definitely hurt. On the flip side of that coin, there were things in Jesus' life that brought him pleasure. Uh, Jesus had a favorite food, and so on his birthday, his mama would cook it up, and he would say, Mom, this was really good. Thank you. He had a favorite food. There were things that brought him pleasure. If Jesus went to a wedding and his favorite song would come on, Jesus would be like, this is my jam. He had a favorite song. There were things that brought him pleasure. There were places that Jesus would like to go. He would go to the beach. You know, Jesus hang out at the beach. He liked the beach. Some of y'all went to the beach this week, sitting in the sun. He, he, Jesus would go out on the lake. He liked being out on the lake. Jesus would uh, walk in the mountains. He'd go for hikes. He'd go into gardens. There were places that brought Jesus pleasure, and Jesus had friends, people he really enjoyed hanging out with, and he would stay up all night talking to his friends. There were things that brought Jesus pain, and there were things that brought Jesus pleasure. Now, why am I telling you this? This is important. Jesus willfully and willingly walked away from that which was pleasurable, walked away from his favorite food, walked away from his favorite song, walked away from his favorite places, walked away from his favorite friends. He walked away from that which was pleasurable, and he walked to a painful death, willfully, willingly, knowingly. Jesus describes his mission this way. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That mission highlights a very important fact about God. Jesus says it this way in John 15, 13. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You see, Jesus' life wasn't taken from him. Jesus laid down his life for you. It didn't happen to him. He decided to let it happen. Now, as the crowd gathered to receive Jesus. There's this huge crowd of people, and they're all fans of Jesus. They love what they've seen in Jesus. As they gather to receive Jesus, they are confused about his mission. They don't understand that Jesus came to go to a cross and give his life to save sinners. They don't understand that. They thought Jesus was riding into town like a king. And he was going to overthrow the Roman oppressors. 
And he was going to set up an earthly kingdom. And in setting up an earthly kingdom, he was going to bring peace to this region who had, that hadn't seen peace in hundreds of years. And finally, they were going to experience prosperity because at this point, they're totally broke. And all their money goes to pay taxes to their oppressors. And, and so Jesus is going to set up peace and he's going to bring prosperity. And all of a sudden, this group of people, because Jesus was Jewish and all the Jewish people that are living in Jerusalem, all of a sudden, they're going to be privileged. They're going to be prized above all other people. They're going to have this position of authority. Jesus is going to do all these things to make their life better. That's what they celebrate. They see Jesus riding in on a horse, and they see Christ the conqueror. But Jesus didn't come come to town to be Christ the conqueror. Jesus came to town to be Christ the crucified. We make the same mistake today. We confuse the mission, the intentions of Jesus. We believe that Jesus came to be the king of the world so that he could make our lives on earth better. We confuse Jesus for a vending machine. And if we just press the right buttons, then we'll get out of him what we want. If I just pray the right prayer, if I just know the right Bible verse, if I just go to the right church, if I just listen to the right sermon, if I just sing the right song, if I just give the right offering, if I'll just take communion the right way, then Jesus will give me what I want. We confuse Jesus for a good luck charm. And if I wear that cross, and if I go to church, and if I know those Bible verses, then nothing bad will happen to me. But Jesus didn't resolve to do those things. Jesus didn't set out for, he didn't go on ahead of, he didn't press on today and tomorrow and yesterday to make your life on earth better. Jesus resolved, his intentions were to go to a cross and to give his life as a ransom for your soul. Jesus came not to be a king. He came to become your personal Lord and Savior. Now, if you're confused about Jesus' mission in your life, your faith is going to be weak. And eventually, you'll turn away from him. Because life happens, and when life happens, it's hard. When life happens, and, you know, I'm supposed to be getting the things that I want, Jesus, because I'm doing all the things you've asked me to do, and it's not happening in the way I want it to happen, and so this is your fault, and you fall away. Jesus, I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and you didn't heal. You didn't provide in the way I wanted you to provide. You didn't do the thing I thought you were going to do. I thought you were going to protect me from stuff like this happening. And it hasn't been that way, so you fall back. That's what happened to the people that lined the streets that day. On Sunday, they celebrated him. On Friday, they yelled, crucify him. Why? They were confused about Jesus' intentions. So here is the clear picture of Jesus and his mission on earth. Jesus came to save your soul. That's why he came. He came to go to a cross and give his life as a ransom to pay for all the sins that you've committed, to make you right with God. If you understand that correctly, if you understand where Jesus was willing to go and what Jesus was willing to give, it should drastically impact how you react to him in your day-to-day life. That's what I want to spend the rest of our time thinking about. Let's keep reading. Verse 29 
of Luke 19. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you. Turn to your neighbor and wake them up and say, Go. You might be asleep too, so let's try that again with a little more authority. Tell them, Go. Go. Go to the village ahead of you, Jesus says, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it, say, the Lord needs it. How do we properly respond to a Savior who's willing to suffer and sacrifice for us? How are we supposed to properly respond to that? Well, here's one thing that you can do. Go where Jesus leads. Go where Jesus leads. Jesus tells his disciples, I want you to go and get me a colt. Don't ask for it, just take it. Now this brings up kind of a dilemma. Uh, number one, what happens as I'm untying this colt if the owner comes out? This is going to be an awkward situation. You're asking me to go and do something that's kind of awkward. This is a challenge. Also, this kind of feels like stealing. And I didn't think you were down with that, Jesus. So let me break that part down first because some of you... And I don't want this to be on me. Some of you may go to the gas station after this and go and grab a bag of Cheetos and just walk out the door with it. And the person behind the counter will be like, what are you doing? You're like, well, I learned this at church. Jesus needs it. And you just walk out. I don't want that to be on me. So uh, biblical scholars believe that Jesus knew the person that he was sending his disciples to. He personally knew him, had interactions with him before. Jesus had traveled this area several times. So... Um, and chances are that this person that Jesus knew had one time come to Jesus and said, Jesus, if you ever need anything. And so what Jesus is doing here, he's calling in a favor. Um, and other accounts of this story teaches us that Jesus did return the colt. So he just borrowed it. He brought it back. So don't go stealing anything and blame it on your preacher. That's not how it works. Here's the other part of it. God tells us sometimes to go to some strange places. God tells us to go to some strange and awkward places. God came to a guy in the Old Testament named Abraham. And he, Abraham was set up for life. He was older, probably in his 70s, and he had established a great career. He had built a beautiful home. He had all these family and friends. Everybody respected him, and he was set for life, and God came to him at, at the height of his success, and he said, Abraham, I want you to quit everything here. I want you to pick up your stuff, I want you to pick up your family, and I want you to go to the place where I'll show you. Now that's tough. That's tough because everything's good right here, right? Abraham, I'm set up, my career's good, I've got a beautiful home, it's set up just the way I want it to be, I've got all these friends and family, everything's going good, why would I leave? And God says, go to the place where I'll show you. Okay, God, I trust you. And I love you enough to do this, but can you at least give me some coordinates to plug into my iPhone? Can you do that? I'll plug it in Google Maps, and if Google Maps doesn't get me there, I'll try iMaps, and I'll pray really hard, and it'll get me there. Print off some MapQuest directions for me, God, step by step. How many of y'all remember MapQuest? That's iffy right there, MapQuest. I tell you what, God, you're not willing to do that. I'm going to get Road, Road Atlas out here. And you just point at the spot, and I'll find my way, because I know how to read a map. Just show me 
where to go. And then and when I get to a turn, I know exactly what to do. Just kind of spell it out for me beforehand. And God says, no, go to the place I will show you. When you get there, I'll tell you. You see, we want everything spelled out for us, don't we? Give me step-by-step directions, God. Show me who I'm going to marry. Go ahead and show that to me so I don't have to stress over it. Show me what my kids are going to be like. Show me what challenges I'm going to face. Spell this out for me so I know what to do when I get there. And God says, no, just go to the place where I'll show you. There's another story in the Old Testament I like about this prominent official. Um, and he's like a government official, and he's, he's like high class, you know. And uh, he gets this skin disease because the reality is bad things happen to even important people, don't they? Bad things happen to even people that, 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 are, that are high class, don't they? Uh, and, and so he gets this skin disease, and it's, it's incurable. They don't really have any kind of treatment for it. And, and so this man, he hears about this, this healer, this faith healer, who's a man of God. He, he worships the God of the Bible, and uh, he, he travels a long, long journey to get to this man of God. And he gets to the man of God, and he's expecting, like, you know, some sort of, like, hocus-pocus, magical kind of thing to happen. And the man of God says, no, go, go and dip in the Jordan River seven times. Now, this offended the high-ranking official because he had just come from this place that had pristine waters. And he's thinking, if you want me to go and get in some water, that's the water I'm going to get in. Because it's crystal clear, you can see all the way to the bottom, and I can drink out of it. But you're asking me to go and, and dip in the Jordan River, and the Jordan River is like water waste treatment facility, and it's brown for all the wrong reasons, and I'm not going to get in that thing, because if I do, I'll come out with something worse than what I came in with. And the man of God says, go into the water. You see, we want to be able to see all the way to the bottom. Lord, show me what's down there. That's not faith. Go to the place where I'll show you. Now, this is what happens when you trust Jesus enough to go where he leads you. Verse 32. I love this. I love the Bible. You guys should read the Bible. If you don't read the Bible, you should. I love it. Those who were sent ahead, they went. Jesus told them, go and get me a colt. So what did they do? Okay. We'll go and get you a colt. They went, and what did they find? They found it just as he had told them. Wow. You see, this is what you'll find. If you trust Jesus enough to go where he leads you, when you get there, you'll realize it was just like he told me it would be. He said there'd be a colt. There was a colt. He, he, he told Abraham, I'm going to lead you to an even better place than you are now. Abraham went. What did he find? He found a place called the promised land. People are still fighting over it. So good. He said to the official, you'll be healed if you get in the Jordan River. And what happened? He came out of the Jordan River and he was completely healed and whole. When you go where God is leading you, two things happen. Number one, it proves your faith. It proves your faith. You see, if you've got the faith enough to just go, even when you don't understand it, even when you can't see the bottom of the river, even when you don't have MapQuest directions, if you trust him enough to say, Lord, I know you'll lead me every step of the way, it proves that you've got faith. Here's the other part of that. It proves that God is faithful. 
Some of you, you don't ever give God an opportunity to prove how faithful he can be. The only way that he gets that opportunity is when you take a leap of faith. When you step out, when you go, even when you don't know where you're heading. Go where Jesus leads. Here's another thing we can do. Appropriate reaction to a Savior who's willing to suffer and sacrifice for us. Give what Jesus asks. Verse 33. As they were untying the colt, the worst thing that could happen happened. They got busted. Its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus. The owner just gave it up. Okay, no questions asked. Here you go. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and Jesus, and they put Jesus on it. Now, this is the equivalent of somebody coming to your house. They don't knock on the door. They just come in, and they go to the place where you keep your keys, and they, they pull off the keys to your brand-new car, and it still smells new. It's got the like-new smell still. And then they go out in your garage, and they start it up, and then they pop the garage door. And as they do, you come, and you're knocking on the window. Some of you, at this point, you've got a gun, probably the biggest gun that you can find. And, and they, you knock on the window, and you're like, hey, what are you doing? And they say, well, Jesus needs it. What do you do in that circumstance? If you're that person and they've come, and they've come to get your colt. I know what I'd be tempted to do. I'd be tempted to say this. You know, I want to help Jesus out because I love Jesus. I want to help him out. The problem is, like, this colt is new. Nobody's ever even ridden this colt. And i got big plans for the colt. I really need the colt. And I'm kind of afraid because Jesus is a full-grown man, and this isn't a full-grown horse. I'm kind of afraid Jesus is going to break my colt down, and I need the colt. It's valuable. But I tell you what, I got a donkey out back. The donkey has been ridden a million and one times. And he's got a little hitch in his giddy-up, but he will get you there. So why don't you take the donkey and leave the colt with me? Wouldn't you be tempted to do that? Let me tell you why. We hesitate to give God our best. We hesitate to give God our best. We, we want to give God all the leftover stuff. Any of y'all ever clean out your, your closet and you got like a pile of stuff and you don't know what to do with it? You don't want to have a yard sale because yard sales are terrible, aren't they? You don't want to have a yard sale. So this is what you do. You got a pile of stuff. You get real generous with your junk, don't you? And you start calling people up and you're like, hey, I got some cool stuff. You need to come over, right? That's what we, we're generous with our junk, aren't we? That's how we treat God. God, I'm going to give you the leftover of my day. You know, it's been a long day. I didn't get, I didn't get a chance to read the Bible today, but I'll, I'll pray a real sleepy prayer. Lord, I'll, I'll open up the Bible when I don't have something better to watch on the DIY network, HGTV. If there's something on there, I'll pick up my Bible. Then, Lord, I'll give you that thing that you want that doesn't really cost me anything. You know, I'll do that. I'll be obedient, God. I'll give you my obedience when, when it's not really costing me something that's, that's really good. As long as the temptation isn't too hard, too uh, uh, overwhelming. Let me ask you, when is the last time that you sacrificed something for God? Like you truly, it was a, a sacrifice. Like when you gave it up, it hurt. When you gave it up, you missed it. When you gave it up, it was hard. When was the last time God came to Abraham again? And he said, Abraham, 
You've been faithful. But now I want you to give me, I want you to give me your only son. Your, I, want to give, I want you to give me your favorite son. And at this, I would say, you know, God, I, I, I'm kind of attached to my son. Uh, I'll give you a goat or a sheep. I got plenty of those. I got some doves. I'll give you any of those. I'd, I'd rather keep my son. But Abraham doesn't do that. Abraham, because he was faithful in going to that place where God told him to go, he had already been faithful in the smaller things. So when God asked him for the thing that he loved the most, when God said, I want you to give me the thing that's most valuable to you, Abraham said, okay, I got enough faith to do that. And he led his boy Isaac up the mountain and he strapped him to an altar and he raised a knife and he's going to kill his son and God stopped him. Because here's the reality. When you're willing to give God your very best, he will always provide your every need. I'm going to say that again. When you're willing to give God your very best, he will always provide your every need. And so God stopped Abraham and he provided a different sacrifice. This is what's said of Abraham's faith later on in the Bible. James chapter 2, verse 21. Was not our father Abraham considered righteous? When you stand before God on judgment day, those are the two words that you want to hear. Not that I was earned, not that I earned my righteousness, but that God looked at me and he considered me righteous because of the things that Jesus did, because of the faith that I dis displayed throughout my life in Jesus. Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? Verse 22, you see that his faith and his actions were working together. Do your faith and actions work together? Because this is what we do. We say we believe a lot of things. But when was the last time that your belief motivated you to act? When was the last time that what you said you believed about God and His provision and His faithfulness motivated you to give those things that are most valuable to you, if God's asking for it? To go to the places that He's asking you to go, even when it doesn't make sense. His faith and actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. Giving Jesus what he asked completes our faith. Some of you are here today, and your faith is so weak because you've never given God an opportunity to prove his faithfulness. You've never done something that could only be accomplished unless God were in the middle of it. You never put yourself out on a limb so far that you'd only survive if God caught you. You never gave up something that was so dear to you that you could only be filled back up unless God filled you back up. Some of you, your faith is so weak because you've never given God an opportunity to, prov to prove His faithfulness. You say you believe, but you've never done anything that truly requires faith to accomplish. This is what James says about such faith. Faith without deeds, is dead. You see, dead faith is the same as no faith. Many along the road on Palm Sunday, they had a dead faith. Look at this, verse 36. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down, the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of, and that word would probably be better as fans. The whole crowd of fans began 
joyfully to praise God in loud voices. Why were they praising God? This is why we praise God. For all the miracles they had seen. This is when it's easy to praise God. When he's doing good stuff for you. When all the bills are paid. That's easy. It's easy when everybody's healthy to praise God. It's easy when the career is going well to praise God. Verse 38, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. See, we want Jesus to go to where we are. Gee, I want you to meet me where I'm not going to go to you. You come to me, Jesus. I want you to give me what I want. I'm not really about giving you anything. I just want you to give to me. You go to where I am. You give what I want. I'm not going to go where you are. I'm not going to give what you want. I'm not really about that. These people, they celebrated Jesus on that Sunday in that way. They celebrated it because of how Jesus had benefited them on earth. But many of those same people, on Friday, they, they yell, crucify him. Because their assumptions about his intentions didn't match Jesus' reality. Dead faith is only active when it's personally convenient or personally beneficial. It's easy to praise Jesus, the conquering king who rides in on a horse, who's going to throw off all of your oppressors. He's going to beat up all of your enemies. He's going to take care of all of your problems. He's going to put money in your pocket. He's going to benefit you. He's going to bless you. He's going to bring you peace. He's going to do all these things for you. It's easy to praise that Jesus. But what about the Jesus that when you praise him, it costs you everything? Can you praise that Jesus? What about the Jesus that when you praise him, it might cost you your life? Can you praise that Jesus? Let me tell you what's going on in the world right now. Just this morning, there were two bombs that went off in Egypt because people were having a Palm Sunday service like ours, and a terrorist came and sat in the church and blew themselves up, killing dozens of people. We don't have that problem in America. So guess what? It doesn't take faith to come to church. You sitting here today doesn't take any faith. But what if it did? Many of you wouldn't be here. Because you've not trusted God enough to go to those small places He's asked you to go and give up those small things He's asked you to give up. So there's no way you're going to put your life on the line to worship Him. Let me tell you the reason that I'm sharing this today. It's not for Jesus' benefit. And see, I could say this. I could say, if you don't go and if you don't give, then Jesus won't be able to accomplish his mission. I could say that, but that's not the truth. I'm going to say something, this is harsh, but this is the truth. Jesus doesn't need you. He doesn't. God is self-sufficient in every way. Doesn't need you. I'll prove it to you. Look at verse 39. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Tell them to shut up. Verse 40, I tell you, Jesus said, If they kept quiet, the stones will cry out. Jesus doesn't need you to praise him. He's going to get your praise, whether you want to give it to him or not. You know that? 
The Bible says one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Even the most arrogant atheist who curses God and makes fun of Christians, even them one day will fall prostrate before Jesus and say, surely he is Lord. He is worthy of all praise. Even they will. You don't want to go to that awkward place Jesus is calling you to go? Well, somebody else will. And even if nobody goes, Jesus will still accomplish his purposes. You don't want to praise him because you're mad? Because you're being selfish or stubborn? It's okay. Jesus is still going to get praised. This sermon isn't for the benefit of Jesus. This sermon is for the benefit of you. You see, when Jesus sends you to go to that place that you don't want to go and do that thing that you don't want to do, he's giving you an opportunity to partner with his eternal plan. Many of you, you're missing out on your greatest mission, your greatest purpose in life because you're unwilling to go to that place that he's called you to go. And you've got all these accomplishments, you've got degrees, and you've gotten promotions, and you've made money, and you've built houses, and you've raised a family, and all those things are great. Maybe you wrote a book, maybe you're an internet sensation. Congratulations, all those things are great. But without Jesus, it's all meaningless. In eternity, it's all meaningless, unless Jesus is right in the middle of it, unless you go in his name and make disciples for him. It's all meaningless. When God calls you to give up something that's valuable, it's an opportunity to honor the one who deserves to be honored, to praise the one who deserves to be praised. Do any of y'all have people in your life that you can't buy any gifts for because they have everything? Anybody? My dad's like that. And so every now and again, my dad will throw me a bone and he'll say, you know what, there's this thing I saw and it's pretty cool. And that's it. And so this is what I do. Whenever I hear that, I just go to whatever store it is or I get online and I buy that thing because rarely does he ever want or need anything. This is just one small way that I can show him I love him. When God asks you to give up something in your life, it's not that he needs it. He doesn't need it. God owns the universe. He can do with the universe what he wants to do with the universe when he wants to do it. He doesn't need that thing that you have. If he wants it, he'll take it. The reason he's asking you is because he's giving you an opportunity to love on him. He's saying to you, listen, this is something small you can do. And I know it's a sacrifice. And I know it'll hurt. I know you'll miss it. But this is a way you can show me you love me. And isn't he worthy? Isn't he? Isn't he worthy? Because this is the guy who was willing to go to the cross for you. This was the guy that was willing to give up his life for you. So isn't he worthy for 20 more minutes in church on a Sunday morning? Isn't he? Isn't he worthy for our attention every day? Isn't he worthy when he comes into your life and he says, I want that thing that you value so much. I want you to give it up for me so that you can focus on me, so you can love me better. Isn't he worthy of that? Doesn't he deserve it? That grudge you've been holding, I want you to give that up for me. Hasn't he earned the right to speak that truth into your life? I think he has. So when you don't go where he leads or give what he asks, it's sad. And it's not sad for Jesus, it's sad for you. Verse 41, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, Jesus cried over it. 
that word there is actually wept bitterly. He lost control, overwhelmed with sadness. Why? If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, what would really complete you, what would make your life matter, what would fill you up like nothing else can fill you up, what would really satisfy your soul, if you could only see what would really bring you peace. But it's hidden. You're confused about my purpose. You're confused about my intention. And as a result, you're missing the point of life. I think Jesus grieves for some of you who are here today and you're so confused because you've equated the peace that Jesus brings with a comfortable life. 